Kansas and North Carolina have each seen a ton of players enter the transfer portal this offseason. Today, we look at a pair of guys who might be great fits in Spokane in Ernest Uday and DeMarco Dunn. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Well, we're still awaiting decisions from Anton Watson and Malachi Smith. They have until the end of the month to make a decision on whether they are going to return to Gonzaga or continue to pursue their professional basketball career. So we're still looking at transfer portal updates, some of them as guys that maybe could replace either of them if they were to depart uh, for a professional rank, some guys who maybe they, they might just want anyway. If both guys come back, the Zags would still have an extra scholarship. So there's still some some potential wiggle room there. So we're going to talk about a pair of potential transfer portal additions here today on Thursday's episode of Locked on Zags. We're also going to take a look at the women's basketball team taking a foreign trip this summer. They're going to Greece and Croatia. It sounds like a ridiculously fun trip. We'll give you some more information about that to close out the show today. But we start talking about Kansas big man Ernest Uday. Uday is a six foot 11 shot blocking rim protecting center from Orlando, Florida. It is not hard to see the appeal of this player on Gonzaga's roster next season. He is a four-star prospect and was the number 32 ranked player in the class of 2022 when he initially committed to join Bill Self and the Jayhawks. He drew comparisons to Thomas Bryant while in high school, the very same Thomas Bryant, who was the fifth overall pick in the NBA draft and has had a solid NBA career as well. Uh, 30 games in his first season with the Jayhawks, played about eight minutes per game, backing up some other guys in that starting lineup there. Jalen Wilson, of course, was there. KJ Adams playing a lot of small ball five for the Jayhawks. Uh, 8.3 minutes per game in 30 games, 2.6 points, just under two rebounds and about a half a block per game. His his field goal percentage numbers are goofy because players who have a small sample size tend to have goofy numbers. His is one of my favorites on two point attempts, which is all he took. He's not, he's not a three point shooter, no range outside of that on two point attempts. Uday shot 75.6%, 75% on twos. Yes. In eight minutes per game for the Jayhawks. A lot of that was garbage time. A lot of that was end of the game stuff. I'm not going to take that too seriously other than, He's probably going to be a fairly efficient low post scorer wherever he goes. You're probably not going to go from 75% to like 45% on two pointers. Is he going to stay that high? No, but still like to see somebody even in a kind of not necessarily garbage time role, Kansas. You don't, you don't play garbage time every single night in the big 12. So I don't think that all of his minutes came in that situation, but certainly a lot of them did. And and regardless, still nice to see him put the ball in the hoop at an efficient rate. Uh, But again, we mentioned there's a not, not much outside shooting and and certainly his 40.9, 40.9, not 49, 40.9% 
from the free throw line last year indicates he's still got some work to do to extend that range. Uh, it's not even out to 15 feet right now, so I wouldn't expect to see him taking threes anytime soon, no matter where he goes to college next year. He had a really nice game against Seton Hall, 10 points in 12 minutes against Shaheen Holloway's team last season. Uh, and the offseason did not go his way. He expected to compete for a starting job next year with the Jayhawks. Of course, they were losing Jalen Wilson to the NBA draft, losing Grady Dick to the NBA draft. And then they went out and landed the biggest transfer portal player ever. In the history, the, the brief multi-year history of the transfer portal, Hunter Dickinson is the most lauded, most previously successful player to ever enter the portal. And the Jayhawks got him. It's been a tremendous offseason for Bill Self and his team, but what it created is players who said, hey, I thought I was going to get a chance to start. I thought I was going to get to compete for a role. I don't want to be in the same spot or a arguably worse spot than I was last year, so I'm going to enter the portal. And I don't blame Ernest Uday for making this decision. He was not the only one who did. In fact, eight players have entered the transfer portal out of Kansas so far this offseason, among the most of any team in the NCAA. Zubi Ejiofor, who was also going to compete for that starting center role for this team next year. He also entered the transfer portal. He has since committed to join Rick Patino at St. John's. Uday is still available right now uh, and is looking for presumably an opportunity that doesn't involve him backing up an All-American like Hunter Dickinson. Fortunately for uh, for Uday here, he has heard from a whole bunch of schools, as you would expect from a guy who was a former top 35 prospect, four-star guy with his kind of pedigree. So far, so far the list, uh, and I believe this came from John Rothstein on CBS Sports in a tweet, uh, this list is as follows, Duke, Kansas State, TCU, Arkansas, Ohio State, Texas Tech, Florida State, Iowa, Memphis, deep breath we go on tennessee central florida oklahoma notre dame missouri auburn syracuse and georgetown that is the list as of right now this is just the list of schools that he has heard from that has been reported that does not mean that gonzaga is not interested it does not mean that gonzaga has not reached out necessarily but it might mean that it also could mean that gonzaga has said a either we're not interested or we don't think we have much of a chance here or whatever it may be those things can totally happen Uday has visited Duke, and the latest report, as I'm talking to you at 540 on, in the evening on Wednesday, uh, by the time you're listening to this, it is, of course, Thursday, the latest report is that Duke has a pretty sizable advantage here. There's been some reports out there that other schools like TCU, which was heavily involved, like Arkansas, which is heavily involved, like Kansas State, which was heavily involved, are kind of not necessarily given up, but they're expecting that Uday is going to end up at Duke. And there's a pretty logical reason for that. Duke, they have lost literally nobody to the transfer portal. They have also gained nobody from the transfer portal at this point. They have were very fortunate to return a huge chunk of their production from last year. Kyle Filipowski decides to come back, even though he was projected as a first-round pick. Tyrese Proctor comes back. Mark Mitchell comes back. Now recently, Jeremy Roach is coming back. That's four of their five starters from last year. The starter missing was their rim-protecting center, Derek Lively, who has stayed in the NBA draft process. If they can add a player like Uday, who had the similar level of pedigree coming out of high school, who has a similar skill set, who would probably step into that role right away, it's kind of hard to ignore. Kind of hard to ignore. I, I could not imagine a situation where Uday, if he feels any real, with any kind of conviction that he is going to be a starter for Duke next year, you've got to take that. 
And I think that that's the direction we're leaning here is that he might start at center for Duke. Filipowski sleds down to the four, which is kind of what he played last year with Lively anyway. Uh, and they just kind of roll it back with that same group of players. But I'm not confident that Duke is necessarily going to promise a starting role. And if they don't, Uday may look at this as a situation of, I don't necessarily want to go transfer away from Kansas where I don't want to compete to be a backup center and then go somewhere else where I'm going to be competing to be a backup center. So Duke would have to guarantee him a starting job. And if I'm John Shire, I don't know that I'm necessarily guaranteeing a starting job for a team that has legitimate final four and national championship aspirations to a guy who played eight minutes per game last year. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. I think that Uday has the skill to potentially start for a team like Duke. Uh, is he ready right now? Those are questions that that coaching staff is going to have to answer, and they're going to have to be willing to say either, yes, you are, and we're going to give you that chance, or no, you're not, and we're going to risk losing you as a potential uh, highly impactful piece for us. Uh, there are some other schools. Obviously, we listed that big group there. Uh, if he does end up wanting to go closer to home, I always think that's worth paying attention to. He's from Orlando. Perhaps that gives Florida State or even Central Florida an advantage here. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if more schools crop up if he doesn't make that commitment to Duke. If he ends up saying, hey, I'm going to continue to explore my options again, Kansas State and TCU seem to be very involved, and they would, I would expect, continue to be so. Uh, but some other schools could certainly kind of crop up into that conversation as well. Uh, as for his role at Gonzaga, I think that's a pretty interesting question here, and obviously one that matters in the context of why he's leaving Kansas in the first place and why he might consider Duke is he would need to play. And I don't think he's going to start for Gonzaga. I think if Anton Watson comes back, Anton Watson, Graham E.K. is your starting, your starting front court. Ben Gregg plays a big role off the bench. And so I think if you go to Uday and you say, hey, we, we view you as a third big uh, rim protector off the bench, a guy who plays, you know, even if we say, hey, we, we want you to play 20, 25 minutes a night, A, I'm not sure Gonzaga has that. And B, I'm not sure that that's enough to convince him to come to Spokane. So there's some questions here. There's some elements of this that maybe aren't quite, the picture isn't fully developed yet, but developmental big with rim protecting ability, low post scorer. Gonzaga's developed this kind of player a lot. I mean, a lot. Sometimes they develop in, in, in a, a sit out year, like they did with Brandon Clark. Sometimes they develop them in a, you know, a choice sit out year, like Kelly Olenek. Uh, sometimes it's just over time. Shemek Karnowski is a good example of that. Took him kind of three or four years to really fully develop into the player he became. Sometimes it's a little quicker than that. DeMontis Sabonis is a good example there. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. Gonzaga's success with bigs is, is through the roof quite literally. But for Uday, if he's looking to be a two and done guy, I want to go somewhere else, start, play big minutes next year and immediately boost to the NBA. And teams like Duke are giving him that opportunity. Gonzaga is going to have a hard time uh, making this work. Having said that, the fit is undeniable. A very athletic rim running shot blocking big on a team that has kind of posts who can do the other stuff. They have a, a guy who can stretch the floor and Ben Gregg. Uh, they have a guy who can play that high level defense away from the rim and Anton Watson. Adding a rim protector like Uday would be a really nice fit. Is he going to see it that way? That's a, it would be an incredible recruiting job by Mark Few and the staff if they were able to secure it. But uh, it's hard to see exactly why he might like this fit as much as we can see how it would impact Gonzaga in a positive way. But we're going to stick with the theme of the show going forward, which is blue blood former top 100 prospects who are now available in the transfer portal, especially guys who didn't play all that much at their last stop. That means we're going to talk about DeMarco Dunn, who could be Gonzaga's fourth guard next season. More on his game after a word 
from today's sponsor, Bird Dogs. And look, guys, I'm so excited to tell you about our brand new sponsor, Bird Dogs, because as we move into the summer, and for those of you who are out on the West Coast, it has been summer for a couple of weeks now. Very, very hot where I'm located. Um, I just got a pair of these. Actually, I got a couple pair of these for the first time. And I, I usually don't really care about shorts. I wear basketball shorts a lot of the time. Uh, but I look forward to the days that I get to wear these because they fit so comfortably. They stretch. They're comfortable. Uh, they're more comfortable than even my basketball shorts, certainly more comfortable than my joggers, anything like that. Uh, and I can wear them to work. I can wear them out on a date if I want to. They're nice enough there. They're super practical. Like it gets really hot in here when I'm recording multiple podcasts at a time. And the comfortable liner helps me feel cooler. I can wear them to the pool. I can focus more on what I'm doing because they are so comfortable. And if you want to feel the same way, you got to go to birddogs.com slash locked on college and enter the promo code locked on college. And they'll not only get you those shorts, but they'll get you a free custom bird dogs, Yeti style tumbler with every single order bird dog, a proud sponsor of the locked on podcast network. All right. Segment two, still any patents still Locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you everyday listeners for making this show your first listen of the day or your first watch. For those of you on YouTube, we got more continuing coverage on the NBA Draft Combine coming later this week as we look at how Drew Timmy and Julian Strother perform in the scrimmages as we're recording now. Drew Timmy did participate. Julian Strother, I believe, has opted out. Um, we're going to talk about what that means for him on Friday's episode. We got some fun guests lined up for you as well next week, so definitely don't miss out any of the episodes coming up. If you want to make sure you don't miss them, just hit that subscribe button on YouTube. It'll help you ensure that you aren't missing any of your favorite episodes going forward. All right, we talked Ernest Uday, the big man from Kansas, as a rim-protecting option for the Zags, should he choose to want to come to Spokane. I want to talk about a guard out of North Carolina here in the second segment, DeMarco Dunn. He is a six-foot-four guard from Tucson, Arizona. He's a four-star prospect coming out of high school. He spent two years at North Carolina, but he was the number 90-ranked player in the class of 2021. And as a freshman, he played in 23 games, averaged about four minutes per game. This was that 21-22 season. He averaged one point per game, 0.3 rebounds, shot three of 15 from deep. That's pretty much all we had on DeMarco Dunn in year one. He did see an uptick in playing time in year two, 27 games, 10 minutes per game. So he was like kind of just on the edge of being within that rotation for North Carolina, 10 minutes per game, played most every night. Uh, 2.7 points, 0.7 boards, 0.3 steals, was a decent shooter inside the arc, 55.2%, only 32.5% from deep, so not super productive there. Again, we're talking about a relatively small sample size here. He did have 14 points and five boards against Louisville in a game on the road there, and he had eight points in a conference tournament game against Boston College. And so far, the the interest in DeMarco Dunn, even though he hasn't been the most productive player uh, in his college career, the interest is is pretty significant. And this list I, I know comes from John Rothstein, as he tweeted it out here, uh, a list of schools interested in Dunn, Utah, Penn State, Georgia Tech, Seton Hall, Texas, Arizona, which we're not surprised by as he is from Tucson. Cal is involved, Grand Canyon, sticking with that local angle there. Uh, BYU, VCU, New Mexico, and New Mexico State. Santa Clara gave him a call out of the WCC. We talked on Wednesday's episode for you everyday listeners about how aggressive they have been in the transfer portal, so not surprised to see them involved here. Charleston, UT, San Antonio, and Richmond 
Are the schools from Rothstein's list? We have heard since that list came out that West Virginia and Bob Huggins are looking to fill out their roster, and they have reached out to Dunn as well. A lot of schools here that make some sense, again, geographically, if he wants to go closer to home in Tucson, I would think Arizona would make a ton of sense. They could use some depth in their guard room as well, even after adding Jaden Bradley from Arizona, or excuse me, from Alabama. They, they're still a team that could use that. Grand Canyon, of course, if you wanted to go be like a superstar, I think there's a possibility of him going somewhere like that and, and being their leading scorer if you wanted to go closer to home. It's also worth pointing out that he moved out of Tucson to finish his high school career closer to North Carolina. So I'm not sure that there's necessarily this intense tie to that area, but it's always worth when you're looking at transfers like that and you're trying to figure out an edge of where they might go, I tend to think that closer to home it's it's often a situation we see arise. Not for everybody, but for certain guys, it definitely makes some sense to consider that. In terms of what kind of role he would have at Gonzaga, again, this is a guy who, if he's looking to go somewhere where he's going to transfer and immediate play, immediately play a much bigger role, like a much bigger role, then Gonzaga's a bit of a trickier destination. For the record, so are a lot of these bigger name schools. He's not going to start at Texas. He's not going to start at Arizona. If he wanted to play a bigger role, maybe he goes somewhere like like Grand Canyon we mentioned or the New Mexico, New Mexico State route if you wanted to transfer. Again, I hate this phrase. I've used it a few times recently, transfer down. I'm putting that in air quotes for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, if you wanted to go to a mid-major route and kind of play a bigger role there, that could work. But for Gonzaga, especially if Malachi Smith doesn't come back, they're a unique combination of a – I know they are a mid-major in the sense that they're in the same conference as Santa Clara, but they're a opportunity for him to go to a premier program while still potentially playing a, a bigger role. He played 10 minutes a game last year at North Carolina. If he came to Gonzaga without Malachi Smith, that's the key part, he probably plays a bigger role than that because you have Ryan Nemphard. You have – it's not Graham E.K. You have uh, Nolan Hickman. And then you have Steel Venters, who's more, he's not really a guard. He's, I mean, he's a six foot seven wing. You have Dusty Stromer, who's definitely a guard, but he's a true freshman. And while I, I'm very optimistic about his future in Spokane, and I'm optimistic that he can contribute right away in year one, you definitely want more than that in your guard room. If Malachi Smith comes back, you might feel pretty good with that being your four guard rotation. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't argue about that at all. That would be a pretty great four guard lineup. But if Smith's gone, you need a fourth guy. And what I've heard, I spoke with my colleague, my friend, my co-host on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, Isaac Shade, uh, who also hosts the Locked On Tar Heels Podcast. And his main point about Dunn was he's not a point guard. He is a combo guard. He's not much of a facilitator, hasn't really showcased that skill. He's six foot four. He wants to play off the ball. That's really good for Gonzaga because they already have two point guards. The two guards who are going to play the most minutes on this team, again, assuming Malachi Smith does not come back, is Ryan Nemhart and Nolan Hickman. They are they're pure point guards. That's the role that they play. While Malachi Smith adjusted beautifully to an off-ball role last year, a lot of his experience comes from playing point guard as well. So adding a guy who is distinctly not a point guard might not be such a bad idea. Now, there are some questions about, you know, what exactly would his would his role look like? Would his fit be like? Uh, he's a guy who'd have two years of eligibility left. You'd kind of want to sell him on being more of a developmental piece. Hey, you're going to play a decent role for us next year, but then maybe the year after that, you can really glow up. The problem with trying to sell that is that neither Ryan Nemhard or Nolan Hickman are going to graduate. Like neither of the, you know, I mean, I don't, I 
there's no way to potentially to promise that they're going to stay. It is impossible to make that projection in college basketball these days. But by all accounts, Ryan Nemhart and Nolan Hickman might be here for the next two years. Dusty Stromer might be here for the next four years, at least three, at least two. There's not a lot of expectation that he's a two-and-done guy or certainly not a one-and-done guy. So trying to sell DeMarco Dunn on being more of a developmental, hey, you're going to sit for a little bit and then kind of glow up in year two, year not three for him, year two, uh, you know, the way Joel Eiei did, the way Zach Norvell did, the way some other guards did, is a bit of a tougher sell if there's not any definitive proof that he's not going to be, that, that the guys who are in front of him are going to be gone. And I think that that does make this a bit trickier with somebody like DeMarco Dunn. I think uh, uh, if Gonzaga is looking for more of a developmental guard, a guy who could play a fourth guard role and then grow within the program, they probably need somebody who has three years of eligibility left after this because that makes it a little bit more uh, easy to see the path. Of course, in today's modern college basketball, projecting a player to stay in your program for three years is just a bit more difficult to do. Having said all that, DeMarco Dunn, on paper, six foot four guard, a lot of pedigree, top 100 recruit from the West Coast, coming in to play a, an off ball, small role for Gonzaga while potentially growing within the system and taking on a bigger role next year. It all tracks. If you were to come here this year with Malachi Smith returning and then take on Malachi Smith's role next year, you could see how that might fit for him. But again, for Gonzaga right now, there's there are not a lot of super pressing needs on the roster uh, until we know what's happening with Watson and Smith. So it's maybe hard to convince players to come in unless they're going to develop within the system and specifically in the guard room. It's hard to know what that's going to look like a year or two from now. Well, the women's basketball team is taking a foreign tour overseas. They're going to Croatia and Greece, and it sounds like so much fun. It's happening this August. We're going to tell you more about this exciting and fun opportunity for Lisa Fortier's team coming up right after this. All right, segment three, Sonny Patton's still locked on Zags, still talking basketball here as we transition away from talking about the transfer portal on the men's side and what uh, a couple of former Blue Blood players could look like if they were to come to Spokane. Instead, we're going to talk about the women's basketball team who is heading far, far and away from Spokane in August. They're going on a foreign tour to Croatia and Greece. This is going to be the second foreign tour in program history. You are allowed to do this once every four years per the NCAA's rules. Gonzaga is taking advantage August 13th to August 25th. This women's program is going to be in Athens, Greece, and Dubrovnik and split Croatia, as well as Montenegro. They are going to hit it up on the eastern part of Europe. Beautiful country out there, beautiful places. Uh, they've got three games against international teams that are scheduled, but really it's a lot of sightseeing, and that's not to discredit the fact that they are playing three games out there, they, three games in 12 days. So every four days they have a game. I don't know exactly uh, how they're laid out. I don't think that that has been confirmed who they're playing, when they're playing. All of that stuff is maybe to be ironed out at a later date. But these are the kind of things that I think are so fun and cool. And it's it's funny to see this because I think one of the big sells for these is that, that, that they're a um, kind of a team building exercise. They help with you know, just helping with everybody get familiar with each other, get to know each other, uh, kind of just bonding. And the women's team has so much continuity on the roster. I'm not saying that that means it's not as impactful. It will still be extremely impactful. I mean, it'll change all of these women's lives forever. 
going overseas, seeing seeing the Parthenon and seeing this beautiful stuff in Greece and, and these old buildings and these ancient uh, just ruins and, of course, the beautiful beaches and everything that they're going to get to see, playing foreign opponents, playing in gyms in different countries. Like, all of this is tremendously impactful. But part of the the appeal, at least when it, when these are kind of sold to the media and sold to fans, is that, oh, we're hoping to go out there and bond as a team. This team is really well bonded. I mean, they're really well to bonded. You have the Trunk Twins returning. You have Eliza Hollingsworth returning. You have Bonnie E. Jim returning. You have Britta Maxwell returning after last year. Like, you have a, so much continuity on this roster. So few new players. So few players who haven't played together for three or four years at this point. And so they're going to continue to grow and bond and have this close connection. And to me, like we already, we kind of talked about it a few times in the last few weeks because we had the three on three tournament uh, that featured Vonnie Ejim and Brenda Maxwell and Callie Stokes and Esther Little. They all got a chance to play together uh, for a little tournament in Colorado Springs. The Trunk Twins went to Vietnam and won themselves a medal in the Sea Games as well, the Southeast Asian Games. So we're already seeing this team continue to stay together continue to bond, continue to play basketball together as much as possible. And man, I got to tell you, they're going to be ready. They're going to be ready for the 2023-24 season. They were good last year. They ran through what was an admittedly down year in the WCC, had suffered one little hiccup and a loss to Santa Clara, got underseeded uh, in the NCAA tournament and, and admittedly struggled in that game against Ole Miss and kind of fell apart. A lot of what had been working through them for them throughout the regular season didn't work for them in that game against Ole Miss. But you look at this team now, bringing everybody back. Uh, they lose Michaela Williams to the transfer portal, and that's a tough loss, but they'll they'll find ways to re- replicate that. They added a transfer from Utah. They have a player, Bree Allen, being coming off of an injury uh, who, who should be a bigger contributor for them next year. So this is a team that's going to be really ready. They're going to be familiar with each other more than any team that I can remember covering from basket from Gonzaga basketball period. Like this team has so much continuity, so much uh, togetherness already built in. And now they get to go bond in Europe for a couple weeks, see these beautiful sites together, play against international opponents together, and then come back and get ready for the regular season. I'm pumped for them. I'm excited for them from a, uh, just a, a human standpoint of getting an opportunity to go on a trip that I think is going to be life-changing in so many ways. Uh, I'm excited for them from a basketball perspective because it's going to make this team better. And I think they're already on 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 track to be pretty darn good next year. Uh, and I think I, I, I kind of want to close the show here just reading a nice quote from, from Lisa Fortier about this. This is from the uh, press release posted on Gonzaga's website after this was announced. She said, quote, the opportunity to go on a foreign tour with our team is incredibly valuable. The chance to spend time not just learning and seeing these amazing places, but also experiencing them together is incredible. I am so thankful for our university and the supporters that recognize these kind of life-changing opportunities for our student-athletes to take part in. And yeah, I think that's a good kind of call to these things do get funded by people who, who provide support to the university. Uh, certainly not going to tell anybody what to do with their money, but it is a cool opportunity for these student-athletes to get to do that. And it does come from some outside funding in a lot of ways. And I think it's just very cool to see this team taking advantage of this. I know I'll probably get this question and it'll be addressed maybe during a summer episode if I get some information on it. But yes, the men's team has never done one of these. I don't know if there is a lack of interest uh, from the coaching staff, from the players, from the university in terms of funding it. I don't know what the situation is there. Um, Lots of men's teams going on trips this year have really never heard a peep about it on the men's side. Uh, For Gonzaga, if anybody knows anything about that and wants to let me know, great. Um, But it's just one of those things that they don't appear on paper to be all that interested in doing uh, for Mark Few's program. 
All right, that is going to do it for me today. We're going to talk more about the NBA Draft Combine on Friday, what it means for Julian Strother to not participate in the scrimmages, what it means for Drew Timmy that he did, and at least as I'm recording here on Wednesday evening, looked pretty darn good. We'll talk more about that after Thursday on Friday's show. And we got some fun guests lined up for you next week as well, right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, also available on YouTube. Go smash that subscribe button on YouTube for Zags and college basketball. It takes 10 seconds to go search both of them and hit subscribe. It does a lot of help for your boy Andy here, so I would very, very much appreciate it if you have not done so yet. But of course, as always, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!